In the mid-19th century, a man rose to international prominence and became a hero to the Irish people. In his life, he would be a poet, an orator, a leader of insurrection, prisoner, exile, civil war general, governor of a U.S. territory, and possibly a victim of an assassination. And the crazy thing is, you've probably never heard his name or his story. This week on HPH, we're going to change that and introduce you to this somewhat forgotten hero. Grab a bottle of your favorite Irish whiskey and settle in for this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Thomas Marr, Suck of the Irish. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Welcome in, listener, to another episode of 100 Proof History. I am your main host, Greg. And I'm your sexy, green-wearing host, Christopher, you know, for Ireland and St. Paddy's Day and all that. Well, I'm just wearing this stupid Malt Disney shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pinch the shit out of you when I see you. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, welcome in. Guys, it's, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you're our heroes, and it's the day before St. Paddy's Day for you. If you're a regular listener, it's the day after St. Paddy's Day for you, and I hope you're uh, enjoying your hangovers and wondering why your poop is green because you forgot that you drank all those food dyed uh, Bud Lights. Nothing more Irish than that. <laughs> right. And speaking of the Patreon, you guys might have noticed there wasn't an ad that led into the show this week. Mm-hmm. And that's because I've created a new one. Ooh. You know, just something to spice it up a little. Try, try a new ad rather than the same old drivel. All right. Would you like to hear it, Christopher? Uh, absolutely. I, I should have been a, involved in this process and been allowed to approve it. But whatever. You just do what you want. Just do what you want. <laughs> Master control. <laughs> me host. In Greg's pool. Looking real good. Feeling mighty fine. Like you should. Hey, guys. If you're a Patreon member and you happen to be in Texas this summer... Give me a ring. Come on by to Greg's Pool. <laughs> in Greg's Pool. Looking real good. Feeling mighty fine. Like you should. Best part, no lines. Private cabanas, ladies. In Greg's Pool. Looking real good. Feeling mighty fine. Like you should. Come on down to Greg's Pool. Margaritas are on the house. In Greg's Pool. Looking real good. Feeling mighty fine, like you should. Isn't all your pool equipment busted from that big Texas winter storm, though? I just mean, maybe there's some way we can help? Did you have to remind me of that? (laughs) Yes, I need help. I'm so alone! I just want friends to come to my pool. <laughs> Pull yourself together, Greg. Pull yourself together, Greg. We don't want to have another episode. He told us not to have another episode. What do you want? Leave me alone, Devil Woman. Doing my podcast. This is my therapy time. 
Shut the fucking dogs up. I know you want me to fix the hot tub so you and your boyfriend can have romantic evenings in it. Oh, I'm fixing the pool for myself. Myself and the patrons. They're my friends. Right, patrons? Anyways, if you guys feel like having fun in the sun, then come on down and be sure to join that Patreon to support the Pool Rebuild Project. For only $3 a month, you'll get access to over 80 bonus episodes. And Greg's pool, looking real good, feeling mighty fine, just like you should. Have a good one and catch some rays. Brava, brava. That's amazing. Replacement ad. Yeah. <laughs> I if I heard that I'd instantly want to give you three dollars. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, insurance is a good thing. The pool is taken care of. You just consider that three dollars your entrance to the park. You know, someone's gonna take you up on that. And you're gonna instantly regret it. Just no clothing allowed. This is a nude <laughs> beach backyard. They show up, and the first rule is: please don't talk about my podcast. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, uh, nice weather, I guess. I don't know what else to talk about with you, sir. In Greg's pool, looking so good, feeling so fine, like you should. I'll be singing that all week. All goddamn week. <laughs> be in the middle of an orgasm, just like, hold on, hold on. In Greg's pool, looking so good. <laughs> oh, well, today, Gregory... We're talking about Thomas Marr, and for our listeners who don't speak Gaelic or aren't from Ireland, it's not spelled M-A-R like you think it would be, and it's not pronounced meager like you think it would be, but it is spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R, and that, like I said off-air to you, that just destroyed my brain the whole time I was reading our main source, which is Immortal Irishman by Timothy Egan. Yes, and the sources for the... Advertisement, quote unquote, was uh, Junior Brown and Karak Ongren. Yes. But I mean, you didn't have to say that. Everybody knows Junior Brown and that second name you said. They're all big fans <laughs> of that. Hey, that second one's good if you like death metal. If you don't, stay far away. Yeah, you know, Greg, I'm not a big death metal fan, but the last time you allowed me to come to one of your pool parties, I gotta say, it kind of livened things up, because otherwise, you would have just been there in your, you know, leather harness, bleeding a goat into the hot tub, just without any sort of backing, like it would just been weird, I feel. But once you put the music there, you're like, oh yeah, this is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. He's gonna fucking murder me. <laughs> Alright, let's do it. Yeah, it's more black metal, but... I see where you're going with the joke. African-American metal. Unbelievable. Speaking of African-American, let's get into the story. But how is he African-American? I don't understand where you're going well, with it. You'll learn in the story that <laughs> he goes to Tanzania and then to America. African-American. Oh no, Greg. Greg, he actually went to Tasmania, which was... Australia. With the devil? <laughs> All right. Thomas, Francis is a girl's name, Mar, was born on August 3rd, 1823 in Waterford, Ireland. 
His family was very wealthy, especially by 1820s Ireland standards. The country was dirt poor because it was controlled by the English, and they basically paid the Irish nothing to work the land and grow crops that would be shipped to England and sold for a profit. Yeah, and at this time, it was like just after Catholics were even allowed to own land or their own businesses. That's how oppressed these people were at this point in history by the English. They still couldn't have representatives in Parliament and stuff like that. They still were under control of the English. So um, the fact that Thomas's family was wealthy was it was definitely an outlier in Ireland. Oh, for sure. Well, just like the crops that the English stole from the Irish and shipped to their land, Thomas was also shipped to England, uh, not for any sort of profit, but to get an education. It was here that it became clear that I liked rhyme words, and also that he was a very intelligent dude and had a way with words. Just like I are, Greg. See how I did that? I tied all those words together with the rhyming. You're really good at this. Ah, very good. Yes, I talk living for, yep, that's what I do. (laughs) But Thomas was also very passionate about his hatred of England. In fact, he once got a fierce beating when, as the first chair clarinet player, a.k.a. super nerd, in the school band, he refused to play a concert honoring Duke Wellington's victory over Napoleon. He was just stoned out of his mind, blitz drunk. He's like, uh, I don't remember how to play. I'm going to say this is protest. Like, uh, God. Yeah, he just hadn't kept up with the studies. That's the same reason uh, when the cop pulls me over and I'm driving all bad and I've got, you know, an open container sitting next to me. I stink of alcohol. I'm like, you know, I'm protesting the toll road system, so I'm not going to drive right on it. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well... I mean, I appreciate the effort, but you're still going to jail again, sir. (laughs) Sir, step out of the vehicle. Also, you crashed into a Wendy's. Uh, Can I get some spicy nugs while we're here? I just want to get something to eat before I go to jail, man. I'm going to sober up a little before y'all have to draw my blood. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We understand, sir. I'll take 20 spicy nugs and a black coffee. (laughs) Coffee helps. I don't know if you know that, man. It's the... Helps with the the drunkenness that I don't have right now. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to flash forward to the year 1845. Thomas graduated and was back at home, where his dad hoped he'd live the life of a rich playboy. Spent his days getting hammered on a yacht and his nights doing lines of coke off of the toilet seat in a sleazy nightclub. Because isn't that every parent's dream for their child? But the playboy life wasn't the life that Thomas wanted, and things were quickly going to shit in his home country. The Irish depended heavily on the potato. It was easy to grow, thrived in the Irish soil, and could be used to feed their pigs, which they sold to make their meager earnings. Mar earnings. Hey! (laughs) I love it! I don't think that's going to be in there. I liked it. Yeah, but I don't know if the listener will really get it. Well, we spelled, I spelled it for him in the beginning. That joke was a test to see if they were paying attention. Just like in the really boring classes I had in high school, the teacher's rambling on and on, just staring at my desk, drawing like Metallica logos all over my notebook, and I look up and suddenly her, her skirt's pulled all the way down. I'm like, what just happened? She's like, yeah. Yeah, see what happens? You weren't looking. 
Had no idea that was happening. <laughs> I'm like, why do you have a dick? What did that happen? She's like, at birth. But, you know, <laughs> the hairy legs and arms should have given it away. In the summer of 1845, a fungus spread like wildfire throughout the island, killing over half of the potato crops. This meant that over 500,000 Irish were in danger of starving. And that it's hard to imagine, but they literally ate potatoes three times a day. Every meal was potatoes, cabbages, butter, maybe a little bit of bacon grease to spice things up. Um, they right. didn't have, they were, like I said, they're dirt poor. They didn't have much. And the potato was so easy to grow that they could plant it and then go work in the fields where the English would take all the, the grains and stuff like that. And they'd come back home and eat their potatoes. And so the fact that the potatoes were dying, it, it was a big freaking deal. And it's not like it was the only thing they were eating, as you're about to tell the listener. It fed other things that they ate. Right. Like it, it was the central part of their food economy. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't get that. And it's, it's kind of become a joke. I'm pretty sure we've made the potato joke here before. Oh, yeah. But uh, no, this was a huge deal. But I mean, like short of water or soil, like it didn't get much more basic in the economy of food for these people than the potato. Right. Well, the blight continued into the following year and thousands upon thousands of Irish began to suffer. So many died that coffins were reused, they just put a hinge on the bottom, dumped out the body, and started the next funeral. Which is, I'm fine with, you know. Kind of badass. Yeah. (laughs) There's like a lever, like the the widow can pull. Like they just all throw their flowers in there, (laughs) say their goodbyes, and pull it. But it's it's not just a drop, it's a catapult, and it launches it but it launches it into England, so they're okay with it. Like, fucking take it, Queen Victoria. Suck my dick. Boo! Suck my widow dick. (laughs) I mean, they are Irish. They were all drunk anyway. Well, yeah. (laughs) No, you're supposed to stand up for him, Greg. This is a tale of an Irish hero. People be like, that's a stupid negative stereotype. But, uh, you know, maybe I was right. Maybe I'm just uh, telling the truth here. The lack of potatoes also meant no slop for pigs, so the Irish couldn't sell their pigs to pay the rent and were evicted from their land, and watched as their homes were burned down. Which is kind of shitty. They make them stand there and watch. Like, you can't just say, hey, uh, why don't you guys get out of here? We're gonna, you know, we're just gonna hang out for a little while. Why don't you go? go?" And like, no, no, watch me. Eye contact. Watch. (laughs) Why couldn't they just reuse the home? I don't know. Like, like they're like, oh, this this thing's so shitty. No Englishman will ever live in this. Let's just go ahead and burn this down and uh, build a castle on the land. <laughs> yeah. And then and then they made them stand there and watch while they build the castle. Like, look, three bathrooms. Look at that shit. <laughs> you guys were pissing outside, fucking <laughs> mongrels. God damn! Come on, man. Like, why do I have to be here for this? <laughs> The worst part was there was plenty of livestock and grains, like corn and wheat in Ireland, but those were exported under armed guard to England to be sold. The English were staunch believers in the free market, so they said if the Irish needed grain, maybe they should just, you know, buy it from England, who was using indentured servitude to steal it from Ireland. That's how things work, man. Just, uh, total libertarianism. 
You guys, uh, you guys starving? Well, I have all this grain at a low, low price. Well, I can't afford it. Well, fucking starve then. Okay, see you later. <laughs> I've shit in my toilet. It won't flush. What do I do? Uh, I don't know. That's your problem. Yep. Would you like to buy this bucket of water for $6,000? Well, no, that seems exorbitant. <laughs> Free market, man. What the fuck are you gonna do? Just sit in your own shit? <laughs> nope. Guess so. <laughs> When other countries tried to intervene, the English said, Oi, why don't you mind your own fucking business? And went right back to sitting on their asses, while a country that was part of their empire starved to death. Eventually, over a million Irish would die during what became known as the Potato Famine. I wonder how they came up with that name. I don't know. But someone said this before, maybe we've said this on the show as well, that if it weren't for World War II and maybe the events right before and right after, England would definitely be viewed as the bad guy of history. Just the complete and utter contempt they had for humanity and their own people, or their own empire. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because, man, this is just unbelievable that people they rule are starving to death and like, mm, but if they die, we get all that land, right? That's, that's ours, and we can grow crops and stuff. That's pretty sweet. Just so, uh, fuck them, I guess. Yeah, and if this is happening to their neighbors, you can only imagine how it was, you know, across Asia. Yeah, over in India. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe. I, I guess it's because we live in such, I, I don't want to say progressive times. I don't know how accurate that is, but if... I mean, know, it's accurate compared to this. Yeah. like if Much like how it will be antiquated six years from now. Like, I don't know. Maybe if a hurricane struck one of our territories, let's say... Puerto Rico, we would do everything we could to help those people, right? We would go out of our way to oh, provide God. aid, get that rebuilt. Yeah. I mean, we would definitely go down there and shoot three-pointers with paper towels, right? Just get them back involved. <laughs> God. Maybe <laughs> ah, you're right. <laughs> well, it was during this time, the potato famine, that Thomas Marr joined a group known as Young Ireland and began to speak of independence in sold-out halls. He was greatly inspired by the American Revolution and wanted that kind of freedom for the Irish. He also designed a tricolor flag that would eventually become the national flag of Ireland. In 1848, England passed the Treason Felony Act, which made it a crime to speak out against Her Majesty's government. The punishment was quote-unquote transportation, which meant they kick your ass out of Ireland and sent you to work in a faraway English colony like Australia. Sounds nice, though. Hey, we'll, we'll just give you some transportation. Are you going to build a light rail throughout Ireland? That'll be nice. I'll be able to get to the bar and back home and the potato fields and all that, and everything will be great. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to send you 25 hours away by flight, but we can't fly, so it's going to take six months, and you will live there forever. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> yes. Not as, not as nice. I thought, you know, I thought transportation would be nice, but uh, this ain't a fucking Uber ride, I guess. It's just a complete exile from my home. Hmm. Hmm. Seems fair. Same, same. Well, Thomas Marr, who again was speaking out against the English, was soon arrested. By this time, he was so well-known and loved that when the English came to take him away from his home, 20,000 Irishmen lined the streets and threatened a violent revolution. Thomas knew his people, who were armed with clubs and rocks, would be slaughtered by the English, 
and so he accepted his arrest and told them not to fight. Thomas knew his people. He knew they were fucking dumbass. <laughs> yeah. They line up in that old colonial fighting style, and they've got like a pair of scissors. And he's just like, come get it, England. Come take it. And England's got howitzers and, you know, these just arms and machine guns. Like, well, f- you know, maybe we shouldn't fight. I don't know. Maybe. No, nah, we'll, we'll protect you, Thomas. It's like, oh, this is just, we're all going to get fucking killed. This is terrible. Who's, whose idea was this? My idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, you don't even have a weapon. You're just waggling a dick while you piss. Just peeing everywhere. <laughs> Isn't it fun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Danny boy. Some pipes are calling. All right. Uh, where was it? Thomas paid his bail and instantly went on the run. But later that year, he was caught and thrown in prison. He had been attempting to build a revolution over two years, and it had simply fizzled out. He was sentenced to death, but in 1849, Queen Victoria decided not to kill Thomas and his cohorts, but rather exile them down to Tasmania. Just full of devils. Tasmanian devils, Greg. Oh, Looney Tunes. Just spin around, wrecking everything. Go, blah, 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 blah. This is funny, because it's 1940. <laughs> Well, he arrived in Tasmania in October of 1849 after spending months on a shit-tier cruise ship. Political prisoners were given a choice. They could live under guard 24-7 or start a new life of freedom in Tasmania as long as each of them gave a gentleman's promise not to escape. Who took the guard? He said, yeah, you know, I just want to... It's a sexy guard, you know? Yeah, do I, do I get to pick my guards? Do I want that one? And that one? And you fellas have to watch me poo now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my guard is going to be Edward. Well. <laughs> hey, Edward. I've built an escape tunnel under the bathroom. So I guess you're just going to have to come look at me while I shower (laughs) and urinate and masturbate. To you, to you, Edward, to you. (laughs) Because he said he had this tunnel dug under the bathroom. Edward has to be in there at all times. Right. So he just spends like 16 hours a day in the bathroom (laughs) writing love notes to Edward and handing them over. And he has to read them. <laughs> Edward sees this just, you know, frail man, this political prisoner. He's just like, God. This is not worth the seven twenty-five an hour. He reads the note, pulls the note down. Then all of a sudden, like, behind that piece of paper, mm-hmm. now is a frail old man in a kimono and lipstick. <laughs> Hugh Lazarus is playing. <laughs> That poor Edward, though. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't realize his, his time is nearing an end. Yeah. He just looks up at the ceiling, you know, as if he's talking to God. It's like, why did I tan my genitals? Why did I do this? <laughs> That's what you get for being Cuban. I love tan genitals. <laughs> no, but in reality, who would... Everyone would say, yeah, totally not going to escape, bro, so you don't even have to watch me. Don't worry about it. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm not gonna. That's stupid. Why would I? Escape? Well, if you're an actual political prisoner, maybe you want to 
you know, waste the the money of your in prisoners. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh yeah, pay a guy's salary to watch me all the time. Yeah, oh, stupid idiots. It's like every time you find out some app's been spying on you, like I don't care, don't give a shit. Like, gonna see that I spend ninety percent of my day on the toilet looking at porn. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right, <laughs> do something with that Facebook. All right, have fun with that. You think you're gonna blackmail me when I run for office in my homeowners association? What oh, dare you? Because I'm running on that platform. <laughs> I'm running on the platform that I do all these nasty things. <sighs> Have you heard of my pool? Come to my pool this summer. <laughs> Feeling fine, like you should. Well, there was another caveat. Each man was given a plot of land, and they weren't allowed to enter the land of another political prisoner. Instead, they'd all meet at the borders of their land and have parties, while the constables watched from afar with a telescope. And this was interesting, because one time they were watching, and one of like the guy's doctor's daughters was giving another guy a hand job, which apparently back in those days was called an old-fashioned. Yeah. Give me the old-fashioned. <laughs> yeah. So if they ever time-traveled to today and went to a bar and saw a hot bartender, like... Well, I'll tell you what, I'd love an old fashioned. And just pour him a nice cocktail. He's like, like the, he's like What in the fuck is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, let me help you. He just whips his dick out and lays it on the bar. <laughs> I also see that you accept tips. Well, I'll give you the whole thing. <laughs> so you're trying to make an old-fashioned drink. Uh, you won't need any bitters for this. I've heard it's already bitter tasting, so <laughs> have at it. Last time I got bitters in an old-fashioned, I had to have surgery to sew it back on. So we're not doing that again, okay? Like a bite? Yeah, because she, she bit. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> Let us continue with the podcast, oh, I, I sir. I guess. <laughs> Maybe you should just die there. That should be the end of it. That's the end of podcasting. We'll see you <laughs> never. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, I guess. I'm going to go kill myself. That joke. Go hang myself in the closet. <laughs> Jesus. Make it look like autoerotic asphyxiation. The note's just going to have a timestamp for that joke. And everybody's like, oh, well, fuck, I understand. <laughs> Full insurance payout for this guy. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> While on the island, Thomas met a young woman named Catherine Bennett, and he fell in love. Catherine was a Tasmanian-born daughter of an Englishman who had been convicted of stealing the mail. Heard she was a spinner. Yeah. Oh, you're so beautiful. Never meet a woman like that again. <laughs> she doesn't make sex sounds. It's just like of the tornado spinning. <laughs> yeah, I think even with the I don't think it matters. <laughs> yeah, when that's being done. She's like, oh. It's like having sex with Nell from that movie Nell. She's the girl who's raised in the forest and didn't have a language. Oh, God, I'm old. <laughs> Referencing a 1996 Jodie Foster movie that no one else has ever seen.
She just didn't have a language. She couldn't speak English. So. Okay. Was she raised by wolves or something? I don't know. I don't remember that part. I just know she didn't have a language. So she'd be like, if she was having sex, she'd be like, <laughs> you're like, oh God, yes. Yes. Talk dirty to me now. Please continue with the story. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now I have two timestamps for my suicide note. Well, since she was the daughter of a convict, all of Thomas's friends told him he was marrying below his class level. They disapproved of the union and refused to attend his wedding. Thomas's biggest gripe in Tasmania was how lonely he had been. Now he had a wife and a farm and soon had a child on the way. Some would have been content with that life, but he was still deeply concerned with freeing Ireland. He continued to write letters to Ireland and soon found he had a lot of allies in America, which is where the majority of the Irish had fled to escape the famine, including the Kennedy family and the family that would produce Barack Obama. Little history note for you. Was this before they moved to Kenya? Yeah, and Hawaii or wherever they ended up moving, but they... they uh... I'm pretty sure I heard it was Kenya. <laughs> you had a Kenyan birth certificate, right? Where's the long-form birth certificate? That's all I'm asking. I don't even know what that means. Well, they had the short one. He came out with a short one, and, and all of the racists were like, mm, but there's there's like apparently a six-page document that proves where you were born. And It's like different state to state, right? Yeah, I don't even know. And I have like, my birth certificate. It doesn't it's even a page. It doesn't even matter to those people. They would want a picture of Barack Obama climbing out of the uterus holding a New York Times with the date. <laughs> uh, I'm Kenyan too. Yeah. We stand in solidarity. <laughs> Get out of my country. Quit taking my jobs. Well, it was through the mail that in early 1852 Thomas made plans to escape his island prison. His plan was to hire a boat to take him to a small island that was two miles off the Tasmanian coast and then hitch a ride on an American merchant vessel. He was kind enough to write a letter to the governor of Tasmania to tell him he planned on breaking his agreement not to escape and then set out. And that governor was like hot piss, like legitimately like, I can't believe this piece of shit doesn't want to stay here where he's exiled in prison, can't talk to his friends and can't do anything for his homeland. He made an agreement not to escape, and now he wrote me a letter saying he's going to fucking do that. What a piece of shit. Thomas's wife, Catherine, was super preggers at this point, and so she stayed behind. And that was just a scam on his part, by the way. He's like, oh, baby, you're, you're too pregnant to go to America. They don't, they don't let pregnant women in, so why don't you just uh, hang out here? I'll, I'll send for you later. Uh, we, we want the child to be born where we conceived, here in Tasmania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. We don't be a right old devil. <laughs> She's arguing with him, but it's just... He's like, I don't know what you're saying to me. Are you making orgasm sounds again? Is that what's happening? <laughs> the only hitch in the plan had been timing. Thomas languished on the small island for six days, and he was almost dead when a group of gold prospectors rode ashore and fed him. But his ride to the States soon showed up, and in May of 1852, Thomas arrived in New York. He was shocked when he arrived and found out that he was an Irish hero. The people cheered for him in the streets and demanded he give a speech. He basically said, Hey, listen, guys, the revolution of 1848 was a complete fucking failure, and I escaped an island just by basically deciding I was done living there. I'm not that big of a deal. 
They didn't care. In their eyes, he was a hero who had stood up to the English and escaped the noose. And so at this point, he's basically a celebrity for no reason, kind of like Paris Hilton, you know, except, you know, they didn't find his sex tape, which was lucky because it was Tasmanian devil noises and him going, <laughs> oh, baby, I'll call this one the uh, purple horseshoe. Why don't you watch this? He just bends his dick in half. And she's, she's like, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, I know. It doesn't really work when I do that. It doesn't help anyone. Pretty sure I broke something here. Oh, God, the thought of that hurts me. <laughs> you know, purple horseshoe, like a lucky charm shape. Get it? Irish lucky charms? Yeah? Yeah? Well, it was the celebrity status that allowed Thomas to earn a living as a public speaker. At his first speech, he earned $1,650, which was more money than he had ever seen in his life. Me too. <laughs> right? Come on, Biden checks. Let's do this. <laughs> In the meantime, his wife Catherine gave birth to a son that only lived for four months. And you guys are just joking around, just having a good time. You're up there laughing at Biden checks. Feel you feel good? Feel good about that, Greg? His son died. Feel good? Feel right? Feeling good? Yeah. Okay. Me too. Fuck that kid. Jesus God. <laughs> just take it one step further. <laughs> He'd be dead by now either way. It doesn't He could have grown up to be Hitler. Right? Yeah, Irish Hitler. That's what he would have been. By 1854, Thomas was known nationwide and was fairly well off. His wife Catherine finally decided to join her husband in America, and he promptly knocked her up once more. But the public life of a revolutionary wasn't her cup of tea. She'd sailed to Ireland to stay with Thomas's father, and she soon gave birth to a son, but she died during childbirth. Because he had been exiled from Ireland, Thomas would never meet his son, Thomas Bennett Marr. Well, he soon fell apart. He began drinking all the time. My man. <laughs> he got into a fist fight in the streets of New York with a newspaper editor who hated the Irish, and he was grazed by a bullet when the editor pulled out a revolver. Just old-timey brawls. I can't imagine, like, somebody says something I don't like in the newspaper, and I just beat the shit out of them, get in a fist fight, and they pull out a gun and try and murder me in front of their newspaper office. Can't see that happening in modern times. She's like, oh, fake news this, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> Later that year, Thomas was on a speaking tour. He was on a train traveling through Michigan when he decided to switch train cars because he was hot. The train was soon involved in a head-on collision, and him switching train cars was the only thing that saved his life. Lucky man. Yeah. Not unlucky here. Yeah, he's doing all right. He's doing all right. I mean, unlucky that he's, you know, involved in a fucking head-on train car collision. But, <laughs> right. Uh, lucky that he switched cars. He just stumbles out, and there's people screaming in pain and carrying dead bodies. He's like, I have the worst Fucking luck, I tell you what. <laughs> well, following his near-death scares, Thomas Marr met a wealthy Protestant girl named Elizabeth Townsend. His first love had been someone who was beneath him socially, but this time, it was all of Elizabeth, or Libby's, friends who didn't approve of the relationship. Undeterred, the two were married in November of 1855. She traveled with him on his speaking tours, and unlike Catherine, she was happy to be with him in the public eye. 
Of course, the hot-button issue of the time was slavery. When Thomas had first arrived in the U.S. in 1852, he found it to be a happy surprise that the Irish and blacks of New York got along pretty well. But in the following years, political speakers and writers began to convince the Irish that the freed black man was the reason they couldn't find work and earn a living wage. Thank God that doesn't happen today. We don't blame minorities or immigrants for our, you know, problems or low wages or anything like that. You know, wouldn't that be bad? That'd be awful if, if we didn't see right through that and say, "Wait a minute, that CEO just made six billion dollars, and I'm making seven twenty-five an hour, but he's telling me it was an immigrant's fault." I don't understand how that connection yeah. happens. Yeah, thank I'm glad God we don't fall for that these days. Yeah, yes. Because of this, most Irish sided with the pro-slavery Democrats. As for Thomas, he originally stayed neutral on slavery. He said it was evil, but didn't see it ending in his lifetime, and so he was going to spend his time and energy on helping the Irish in America and gathering support for a free Ireland. That seemed like uh, kind of the just generic cop-out all through this time, beginning of the American Revolution all the way through the Civil War. It's like, yeah, it's bad, but... What can you do, you know, right? <laughs> I, You know, I've noticed that a lot because we've covered a number of topics mm-hmm. throughout this specific time period. And I don't know if it's revisionist history or what, but they all seem to be like, man, this this really is a problem that needs to be solved for the next generation. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> hey, yeah. That's kind of how I am with climate change. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a real thing, but uh, I don't know, kind of like blasting my air conditioner and spraying CFCs in the air with my hairspray, making myself look good. Yeah, it's my kid's problem. I'll be dead. I'll be dead. Who gives a shit? It's their problem. You're looking at me like I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, honestly, you're not, you're not wrong about that. Like, we have our standards today that'll probably, they'll probably be looked at, you know, oh, in yeah. uh, next year. <laughs> If you will get it's like yesteryear, but next year, next year. what? But um, th- they'll be looking back on things we do, and like we're barbaric cavemen fucks. So yeah, I mean it's like you said. You said, you said cavemen. He didn't even say cave person. <laughs> right uh-huh. there, right there. I'm fucked. If that's the most backward thing they find in this podcast, we have succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, he originally thought, hey, slavery will just kind of go away on its own. Maybe not in my lifetime, but it'll go away. But deep down, Thomas also found it pretty hard to separate fighting for one group of oppressed people and completely ignoring another. And he was about to get his chance to prove which side he was really on. And that is where we will take a break and come back with some more of his story. uh, Up until this point, you know, he's just a speaker. He's a guy who tried to lead a revolution, and it didn't really work out. I mean, none of the Irish revolutions really worked out that well. But, um, you know, he was just kind of this guy, just kind of a celebrity, but he's about to get a lot more involved in history, so to say, so to speak, so to words. I'm a good talker. Yeah, they they pay me for this. $3 a month, you can hear me more talker. And uh, <laughs> come to Greg's pool party. All right, we'll see you in a few. Look at that professional. Go to break, not just ramble until someone stops listening. Ah, okay, fine.
All right. Welcome back for break. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you had a good time. We had a good time. I'm sure we don't really talk to each other outside of the show, so I don't know what Greg was up to, but uh, I had a pretty good time. Yeah. We literally just talked about movies for like half an hour, but okay. Whatever. The whole time you're just being super dim- dismissive of my opinions. You're like, no, Gone in 60 Seconds is not the epitome of cinema masterpieces. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we'll just disagree. Notting Hill is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Gregory, it is once again time. Are you going to be honest with these people? Are you going to tell them that you already popped your top? Or do I need to... I have another top to pop. Oh, okay. Never mind. As usual, I've already, yeah, started on a seltzer, but... Well, don't say seltzer. You ruined the plot twist. Oh, 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 shit. (laughs) I mean, alcoholic... um, Sparkly water. Fuck myself. (laughs) All right, fine. It's time for second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Three, two, one, go pop. Oh, I feel like that was pretty close. Doing better. All right. Well, we've uh, popped our tops. And now it's time for you to tell the people the rest of this story, Gregory. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I cannot wait. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> oh, God. Fuck. I have to. <laughs> When the Confederate Army attacked Fort Sumter on April 12th, 1861, Thomas joined up with the New York 69th, (laughs) which was a militia that had agreed to fight for the Union. He began recruiting the Irish of New York, and since he had a silver tongue, (laughs) for that 69th, yes, (laughs) he convinced the men that it wasn't about freeing the slaves, it was about fighting for their new home which had given them the freedom that England never would. They signed up by the thousands. And maybe since it's been a break, we should remind people, the Irish hated the slaves, didn't want them to be freed because they were afraid they were going to take their job. So that's why he had to say, hey, this ain't about slavery, this is about freedom. And then he put on blue war paint and a kilt and he screamed freedom. They're like, that's, that's not accurate at all, man. That's that's the wrong country. He's like, whatever. It's still fighting the English. Just get your shit together. Okay, let's then do he it. he said, let's build a wall between us and them. Yeah. We're going to take our jobs. <laughs> anyway. The 69th was put under the command of General William Tecumseh Sherman, who straight up hated the Irish and dismissed them as drunken idiots who didn't know shit about fighting a war. Thomas wasn't a big fan of being told what to do without any argument. So he hated Sherman in return. But, as second-in-command to his buddy from the 1848 Irish Revolution, Michael Corcoran, Thomas whipped the Irish regiment into shape. The Union was confident that they could win the war quickly if they captured the Confederate capital in Richmond, Virginia. In July 1861, they began their march and met the Confederate Army at Bull Run River, just north of Manassas, Virginia. It did not go great for the Union. The battle started at 5.30 a.m. on July 21st. Initially, the New York 69th was held in reserve, but by mid-morning, they were sent into the fight. The first to fall was Colonel James Haggerty, who caught a bullet in the chest when he made his own charge without orders. He had been killed by an Irishman fighting for the South, 
just laying down, bullets flying everywhere. He's like, fuck this. I ain't scared of bullets. All right, the chest. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned, fellas. Bullets kill you. The 69th was tasked with driving the rebels off of a fortified position on what was known as Henry's Hill. Thomas and his men launched three charges up the hill, and each time they were repelled. <laughs> Being repelled uh, <laughs> brings back old memories. Like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I'd uh, walk my parents' French bulldog, you know, around the neighborhood, and they always gave me like uh, this dog repellent. It was basically like dog mace, you know? Right, 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 yeah. I don't know if it was strong enough for a person or not, but um, you know, I was walking around one time, and uh, my neighbor, Mr. Teacher, came up and started talking to me, and he was like, uh, you know, oh, why don't you come down to the basement, boy? And, all, and I was like, you don't have a basement. We live in... <laughs> you keep saying that. We live yeah. in Texas. <laughs> You've already told me that the basement thing is a lie. What are you doing, Mr. Teacher? And he's like, oh, why don't you give me that? And he grabbed he grabbed at my arm and just instinctively, I hit him with that dog mace. Mm-hmm. You know, that repellent. And uh, he was not too happy. Not, not too happy at all. You looked over and he's, he's like shaking his head at you all angry and he wheeled that dirt bike right back up into the van. You're like, God damn it, I was so close to having that thing. Had a bow on it and everything. Oh, man. What did I do? Where's the candy, though? You don't have the candy on you? <laughs> Fuck! I, you're the dominant one in this scenario. Like, no! No, this isn't happening without at least some milk duds, man. Come on! Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, when you say you're a boy, you're 18. Just to, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Be sick and disgusting otherwise. Right. Well, the Union troops began to retreat, but Marr refused to allow the Irish to do so. They formed up a line and continued to fight. Just then, his horse was hit by a cannonball, and Thomas was tossed to the ground and knocked unconscious. Could you imagine a horse getting hit by a fucking cannonball? Just Not the a carnage. Just, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No, and the funny thing is, when this was reported later, the English wrote about it and said he was drunk and fell off his horse. He's like, well, yes, I was drunk, but I fell off the horse because his legs got blown off by a fucking cannonball. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> his men dragged them to a wagon and retreated. But those horses were also killed, and Thomas was dropped into a river. Which uh, woke him up That's from his unconscious state. <laughs> yeah. 38 men from the division were killed at Bull Run. Another 59 were injured and 200 were captured or missing, including the commander, Michael Corcoran, making Thomas the de facto leader of the 69th. <laughs> hey, baby. Everybody gets something in this unit. Or this unit gives something to everybody. Yep. It's, hey. it's, Greg's it's, pool. Greg's <laughs> pool. It just, at the pool, it's just bad because one of the halves is underwater. And just like, oh God, let me up. Let's switch positions. Jesus Christ. Oh, an actual 69 scenario. I gotcha. Yes. yes. Unless they're on a floaty. Oh, yeah. It's a, a substantial floaty. It'd have to be. 
Can you imagine trying to do that on a floaty? Like, just being on a floaty is unstable enough, right? It's a little precarious, yeah. If I move half an inch, I'm going in the water. Because this mm-hmm. thing is... This was $2 of the Dollar General. And it's not going to make it another week. It's already got like six patches in it, just duct tape everywhere. But then you put another person on there, and they're facing the other way. Man, that's a that's a balancing act. That's like... Uh, what's that show in Vegas with the... The acrobat du Soleil, yeah, Cirque du Soleil, except it's you know just you know simultaneous cunnilingus on your pool floaty in your pool. It's exactly the same as Cirque in du Soleil. In front of family, <laughs> yes. Fa- I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, families. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, since the 69th was a volunteer militia, they were soon released to go home to New York. Thomas immediately went to work recruiting soldiers. The 69th was to officially become the Union's Irish Brigade, made up of 3,000 Irish immigrants. That's a lot of lucky charms, man, to distribute. Just, uh, probably have to go with the bag. Horseshoes. Bag cereal for that. Oh, the Malta meal. Yeah, the fake lucky charms. I mean, they don't know. They don't know. If you just put it in a bowl, they can't tell the difference. (laughs) So my mom told me growing up, and I'm like, Mom, I can tell the difference. I, I totally fucking know. This is Lucky Charms. Also, we don't have a floor in our house. It's just painted dirt. Like, I get it. We're poor, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Painted dirt. You can't trick me. She's like, you put on your potato sack and you go to school, please. Go learn something so you can get us out of this place. And you do whatever that Mr. Teacher says. (laughs) He pays the bills. (laughs) I don't want to, Mom. (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) He punishes me. This is a tragic childhood that'll lead to a terrible podcast. You realize what's happening, right? (laughs) That gym teacher is a nice man. (laughs) He brought me a pack of marbles last week. Those are premium cigarettes. (laughs) Brought me some Nair with cocoa butter so I could get rid of all that. God! (laughs) No! (laughs) Good thing you were 18 at the time. Yep. Yep, going to school with my potato sack, eating multi meal cereal at 18 years old. I don't know why else you would need Nair. <laughs> I was a very hairy child, okay. I'm sorry. My first pubes still 23. <laughs> in February of 1862, Mar was made a brigadier general in the Union Army by Abraham Lincoln himself. He was celebrated by the Irish, but the English and the Southern newspapers made sure to point out how often he was seen drunk as a motherfucking skunk. And for once, they weren't entirely spreading anti-Irish propaganda. The 69th hadn't seen action since July, and a very bored Thomas spent most of the following year getting blackout drunk. What else are you going to do? You're just around all these single, eligible bachelors. You know, you don't want to admit to your wife what happened. So what if you were just... I just woke up. Like, I woke up and there was this shirtless uh, five player next to me. And I said, baby, you blow amazing. And I was talking about the five. But he may have taken it another way, you know. Um, so if, if he, if you check my text messages and he, he talks about how well he blows things, that's all he's talking about is, is fives. He's a really good five player. And so, you know. In July of 1862, 
Thomas had put together a celebration for the men involving horse races and Gaelic football games as the Union forces set on both sides of the Chickahominy River in Virginia. Suddenly, they heard cannon fire nearby. While the majority of the Union was on the north side of the river, the Confederates had launched an attack on the smaller force hanging out on the south side. The 69th sprang to action, but the Chickamaney was swollen and swampy, and it took the Union all day to get across. It was pitch black, and so the men bedded down for the night, noting that the stench was awful. Man, Virginia stinks like a motherfucker. What is this? I don't know. It's probably nothing. It's probably just, you know, probably like a rendering plant nearby. The sewage treatment plant's going full blast. I'm sure it's no big deal, right, guys? Right? Right? Nothing? Okay, cool. Well, Christopher, when they awoke at dawn, they noticed they had been sleeping among the dead. Thomas had thought he was sleeping on a muddy mound, but it turned out it was the dead body of a Confederate soldier. All night, the guy's like, please help me. Please. (laughs) This mound is so noisy. Jesus Christ. Fuck up, mound. (laughs) Just like, you know, when you're uncomfortable, you can't sleep, you start like fluffing and punching the pillows. Punching the pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, he's trying to fluff it up. He's like, God. Oh, it hurts so much. What are you doing? He's just stabbing and eviscerating the pillow. (laughs) As one is wont to do. He just flips it over so he can get the cool side and he's laying on the guy's ass. (laughs) You can hear gurgling noises as he drowns in the mud. He's like, oh, man, this pillow sucks. Pillow starts praying. (laughs) Oh, sleeping on a religious pillow. Another pillow kneels down beside that pillow and starts giving it last rites. She's like, could you please? I'm trying to sleep here. What is wrong with you? Goddamn Pope pillow over here. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Trying to sleep for the ensuing battle. Well, even more shocking than all of that that we just said. (laughs) Even more shocking. Way more shocking. (laughs) They were within point-blank range of living rebel soldiers who had spent the night on their flanks. What? (laughs) The Irish immediately launched toward the Confederate lines and completely overwhelmed them. Once again, other Union forces stalled and retreated, but the Irish refused to stop fighting. The fighting in the area continued for another week, and each time the Irish were asked to fight, they did so without hesitation, suffering 259 deaths in the process. They would fight again at Antietam, and once again, they'd be given the task of joining a charge uphill against a heavily fortified position. Just so shocking how often they thought this would work, like the Union generals. And then, like, we've we've bagged on uh, Lee for doing this at Gettysburg. He's like, hey, these guys are in a nice fortified position on top of this big hill across a giant open field. Why don't you run straight at them? What's the worst that could happen? I'm going to be back here on my horse, quarter of a mile away, watching with binoculars. <laughs> well, add a fence to the equation. Oh, yeah. That really slowed him down. <laughs> on, the, on the Lee one. Yeah. Uphill. And then you got to climb this fence. Now, uh, you know, what's the worst? Gonna, we can do it. Those guys suck at fighting. We're really good fighting people. We're going to win this one, <laughs> fellas. Well, shockingly, and I mean 
shockingly. This time they were slaughtered. Hey, all right. Like pretty much all the Union forces. But Thomas was not wounded because his men refused to allow him to join the fray. They even physically dragged him away from the open field where so many of his men had been cut down. Basically, the same thing would happen later that year in Fredericksburg. The Irish Brigade was decimated throughout the year. And even though Marr wasn't wounded, he suffered an infection in his knee that kept him from walking. By this time, the Irish had begun to turn against the Union cause, and after another defeat at Chancellorsville, they began to defect. It was then that Thomas tendered his resignation. Yeah, but think about all the things he accomplished during his time in the Army. Such as... There was uh, the failed charge at Bull Run. Mm-hmm. Great accomplishment. Failed charge at the Chikami. Ooh, yeah, that's another one. Failed charge at Antietam. Oh. The the failed charge at Fredericksburg. So, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> oh. Pretty good. <laughs> wow, he's quite the tenured uh, general. <laughs> uh, I, we joke, but the Irish became celebrated at this point because they, unlike the other ones, they wouldn't stop fighting. They'd keep going until finally it was just like, evident they weren't going to make you know the charge wasn't going to be completed and in fact it uh I, it's either Fredericksburg or Antietam the whole Union force just got massacred and the Irish guys were the ones that got closest like 30 feet within their lines of the Confederates and they found the green Irish flag because they just refused to stop fighting so they became kind of legendary for just being the best losers I guess well, and, and that kind of brings up another point is they were constantly put in positions that weren't the most advantageous. Right. Because yeah. they were Irish they, immigrants. Yeah. It's like, eh. yeah. So It's like uh, the old, damn, this movie's so old now, but the South Park movie where they're attacking Canada and it's, can I say this? Can I even say it? It's Operation Fallen Behind the Darkies is what it's called. And they put all the black soldiers on the front lines. So... To fight God, the I don't even remember that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it is that way, though. Yeah, it was. Oh, this back job- in the Civil War, it it's about yeah, their cannon fodder sort of thing, right? But they are really good cannon fodder. So, way to go, fellas. Well, guys, things got worse when the Union instituted a draft. Freed black men couldn't be drafted, but the Irish could and rich men could pay $300 to get out of serving. A riot tore through New York, and any black man or Irish man wearing a Union uniform was beaten or killed. Thomas, who had begun to speak out against slavery following the Emancipation Proclamation, was a prime target for the mob, but luckily, he was out of town. Lincoln briefly pulled Marr back into the war, and he guarded the rear of Sherman's advance in 1864, but neither he nor the 69th took part in any other major battles. Following the New York draft riots, the Irish were looked down upon across the country. It's like if you riot and you tear apart part of the country, people look down upon you. That's why none of my family will talk to me now that I've joined the QAnon group and I went to Washington oh, no. in January. You know, I didn't. Hey, I, listen, I didn't attack anybody. I didn't hurt anybody as they were part of a peaceful protest. I just took the Constitution out of the building and walked away. <laughs> I have it hanging on my wall next to my Billy Bass. And so every time I walk by, 
and it sings, take me to the river. I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The little fucking <laughs> mechanical fish thing. <laughs> that sings when it detects motion? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Making sure we're on the same page. <laughs> Well, and since he supported emancipation, he was hated by his own people. But Thomas had an idea. What if the Irish had a place in America just for them? And with that, he set out for the Montana Territory in 1865. Yeah, and basically what he's trying to do here is kind of like what the Mormons did, uh, where they had they claimed Utah as their own and set up their own like kind of settlement there. He wanted Montana Territory to be an Irish settlement for all that. He didn't want to separate from the United States, but he wanted to have like an Irish settlement for all the people there. Right. The idea of a new Ireland had been presented to then president Andrew Johnson because, uh, you know, Lincoln had gone bye bye mm-hmm. and, uh, he agreed to make Thomas the secretary to the governor. So Thomas loaded up his pencil skirts, all of his stockings and heels he started learning about where the best restaurants were around the governor's mansion. You know, it's typical 1865 secretary stuff. <laughs> okay. It took me a second. I've just watched a lot of Mad Men. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> the instant Thomas stepped off the train in Montana, the territorial governor shook his hand and said, Good fucking luck! <laughs> and booked it out of there, leaving Thomas in charge. It's gotta be a, you know... That's not a red flag at all. As soon as you step off, this guy's like, hey, you're a new boss. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> oh, God. What a fucking no, moron. Not, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it turns out that a group known as the Vigilance Committee were the ones actually running the territory. They were especially adept at hanging anyone and everyone they suspected of any crime without a trial. And they were all former Confederates. They all knew who Thomas Marr was. And they all fucking hated him. Thomas did his best to run the territory and establish a legislature. He refused a salary from the people of Montana because he expected to be paid by the U.S. government. (laughs) And uh, he went broke in the process. Where's my check, Biden? (laughs) Jesus Christ. $2,000 my ass. Basically, he didn't really clash with the Vigilance Committee until he pardoned an Irish criminal who had killed a man in self-defense. The committee still lynched the criminal anyway and put a note on the body that read, The acting one is next. Referring to Thomas and his love for playing small parts of the local theater, or because he was acting governor. Who really knows? Yeah. They went and saw him in Macbeth, and they're like, you are the worst fucking Rosencrantz I've ever seen in my life. You're next, you piece of shit. He's like, I felt like I brought it to life, you know. I, I added some things, I thought about the backstory, you know, I really worked on this part a whole lot. Like, yeah, but every six minutes you forgot your lines, you had to scream off stage. For It was really upsetting for me to be in that theater, and I thought, man, I need to hang this motherfucker. And here we are. But I was a good Jean Valjean. I was a good Jean Valjean. (laughs) Well, good old boy Thomas, he wasn't scared of the committee. But at the same time, he was tired of being a governor. He had staked out some land, 
His wife had moved out west with him, and he had a slew of stomach ailments that often kept him bedridden. The golden trifecta, if you will. Right. <laughs> got some lamb, got a woman, pooping all the time. You know what? It's time to hang it up. <laughs> That's how it's you American know. dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also scared of immigrants, and I watch a lot of Fox News, so I think, you know, it's time. It's time. That's the end of me for working and stuff. And so he was relieved when he found out that he was going to be replaced as governor. In the last week of June, 1867, he set out to Fort Benton to collect guns to be used in the fight against the Warring Sioux Indians. It struck him as odd that the leader of the Vigilance Committee was also in Fort Benton when he arrived on July 1st. Yeah, it's funny, you know, just running into a guy who hates me and wants to see me dead. That's, that's crazy, you're way out of town today, same day I'm here. That's, that's, that's weird, right? It's kind of weird. Odd, odd coinky dink if you will. Oh, yeah. I, I just came into town to pick up some lube and some tie-downs and, you know, just uh, normal pioneer stuff, you know? A little bit of some Polaroid film, uh, some blue barrels. <laughs> yeah, you know, just... Uh, <laughs> well, that same night, Thomas climbed aboard a steamboat. At about 10 p.m., the crew heard a man cry out for help, and a loud splash followed. Thomas Marr had fallen into the river. He cried out a couple times more and then disappeared. His body was never recovered. Oh shit, it's D.B. Cooper. It's him. I've connected the dots. I've solved the crime, fellas. He, uh, climbed out of that river, hopped on a plane, stole $200,000 in cash, jumped out of the plane, (laughs) died in a river. Just... It's just a cycle. Yeah. It's like lost. (laughs) The English papers claimed he was drunk. The leaders of the Vigilance Committee said he had committed suicide. Of course they would. Mm -hmm. None of that made sense, as his stomach ailments kept him from drinking, and he was a staunch Catholic who believed suicide was a one-way ticket to hell. Not a round-trip ticket. That's, That's for the Hindus. Get out, come back. Unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) In 1913, a sick convict confessed to murdering Thomas on behalf of the committee, but he recanted his confession when his health recovered and he faced execution for murdering Marr. (laughs) Cop out. (laughs) Yeah, I fucking did it. Wait, I'm not going to die? Wait, I am? Because you're going to kill me for what I said? Oh, oh, no, I was just fucking around. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to die. I totally didn't do that. <laughs> Tell, <sighs> tells this incredibly detailed story. He's like, yes, I boarded the ship at 10.13 p.m. I noticed because the, the clock was stopped on my watch. Look, his skin is still under my nails. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, you know, I have Polaroids of me pushing him. <laughs> Like, because we, that was the time that the boat was passing that part of the log ride where the, the cameras are, and it took pictures of me. And I was flipping off the camera, and the Six Flags lady said I couldn't do that or else I couldn't come back. And so I said, okay, I'm sorry, but I'd still like to buy the pictures. And so I did. And here they are. You can see from this one, he's, uh, he's wearing a kimono and he's tucked his penis by his legs. <laughs> and I've taken the Polaroid, but, uh, 
in selfie fashion. You know what? I'd like to keep that one. You can't have that one. That's for me. <laughs> Prison is lonely. State's evidence. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, uh, sir, it, it, it turns out you just had a, a mild cold. Uh, just take these two pills. You'll be fine. Those were photoshopped. Oh, my I bad. I a man at the fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, in the end, Thomas Marr had been a failed revolutionary, a failed general, and a failed governor, but he always remained determined and convicted to the idea that one day Ireland would be free, and his refusal to give up the fight makes him an Irish hero. Unfortunately, we will never be Irish heroes. Not only are we not Irish, but it seems that if you want to be an Irish hero, you have to have great ideas, fail miserably, and then die a tragic death. And we're only capable of two of those things. End of story. Woo! feel like uh, we did it there. Maybe. I don't know. Did we do it? Don't we do it? Shit, I don't know. Who knows, man? Uh, no one knows. Everybody stop listening after six minutes, so who cares? <laughs> it's just you and me now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a lot of people know the story of Thomas Marr. I didn't know a lot about it before, just kind of stumbling upon this book. It's It's crazy how... You know, his life tumbled from Ireland to Tasmania to America to, you know, the Montana Territory. And, like, I don't think hardly anybody's ever heard of this dude. He's kind of an Irish badass. Right. Just with all the things he was involved in, I can't believe that I had never heard of him before, like, we decided to do yeah. the story. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, Well, that's the end of his story, except for Fast Facts. <laughs> Fast fact number one: In 1847, to fight the famine, the English actually did open soup kitchens in Ireland. The soup they provided offered almost no nutritional value, and all of the kitchens were closed within just a few months. Fast fact number two: Right before Mar arrived in Tasmania, Queen Victoria decided that the faraway colonies could elect parliaments and govern themselves. Thomas found it incredibly ironic that his island full of rapists, murderers, thieves, and political prisoners had more rights and freedoms than his homeland of Ireland. Fast fact number three. Following the Battle of Bull Run, Thomas asked General William Sherman if his men, who were only signed up for 90 days, could leave for home. Sherman threatened to shoot Marr. Thomas met Abraham Lincoln later that same day and told Lincoln about the threat. The president simply said, If I were you, and he threatened to shoot, I would trust him. That's fact number four. Yeah. <laughs> the Irish Brigade would fight at Gettysburg under the command of another leader, and they would lose 200 of their 500 men. In total... 140,000 Irish fought for the Union, a third of which came from New York City. Only two other Union brigades suffered higher casualty rates than the Irish Brigade, who had losses of over 50%. Alright guys, well thanks for listening once again. Hope you enjoyed it, hope you learned something, hope you had some fun, because that's what we're about. Fun and learning. And, uh... I don't really have anything else except maybe just check out hunterproofhistory.com for 
where you can listen to episodes, maybe find our social media, which is also found at 100proofhistory, but also at 100proofhistory.com, you can find our Patreon, and you can sign up for that. $3 a month gets you bonus content, and apparently, they get you an invite to Greg's pool party. I don't even get those, guys. I don't get those. And I refuse to give him $3 for the privilege. But you should really look into it. He had his wife do it. <laughs> he thinks I don't know what her Patreon name is, but he had his wife do it. So he gets a freak ticket to it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, Honestly, guys. It's only $3 to get out pathetic, of my old paycheck. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you guys come <laughs> hang out with me, though, maybe. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Sacrifice the goat in the pool. I did fine. We had to repeat it. So on the repeat. Oh yes. None of true. this is in there. That's true, yes. <laughs> I'm infallible. <laughs> I am God. <laughs> 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 <laughs>